Welcome to Weird Space. Our weird friend Scott, what's going on today? Hey, uh, this is pretty amazing. I'm uh, used to doing a, a this or that bracket with you guys, so I'm excited about this new theme we have today. First time here on Weird Space, you know, finally. I'm, I'm home. I've come home. And if you don't know who our weird friend Scott is, make sure to subscribe to Crawl Space Premium. We did a mini-series with Scott a few years ago, and it is really just an epic series, and you gotta subscribe to Crawl Space Premium to hear it. Where are you? You have a virtual background that looks very hallucinogenic. I'm in the um, uh, Japanese gardens up in uh, Vancouver, Washington right now, recording live. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I'm I'm out in the park, and uh, there's just no people around, and it's, it's yeah, no birds. yeah, yeah, no birds. Yeah, no, no wind. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that's um, it's well, it's I don't know. I have nothing more to say about that. <laughs> okay, well, you know, Tim and I were doing these uh, weird space episodes, which was just a way to talk about the weird news that we sometimes come across. You probably don't experience it in the way that we experience it, Scott. News stories will pop up on our phone as a notification, which will say, like, for example, one of the headlines here is uh, one date and now I'm being sued. Woman sues man for 10K. I don't think your phone definitely does not have notifications set up, let alone you're already shaking your head. Yeah, no, I don't think landlines have that. Landlines don't have that feature yet. Um, <laughs> no. You know, pretty much it just rings and I answer it. Apple News isn't calling your landline to let you know about no. the crab infestation at a distillery. No, but hopefully maybe maybe they'll advance enough where that'll happen someday. They just don't put the resources towards the landline as much as they do the uh, cell phones these days, which is pretty biased. But We wanted to get a third party involved in this, and we thought, who better than our weird friend Scott to help us out with some weird stories and you, you sourced a couple of links and I don't know if they were like weird enough but hey I figured too we could just talk about my life too for an hour or two and just scrap the whole rest of the world thing I think that was a way of asking what do we consider is, is weird right because we were talking about this in terms of news especially what is weird news as opposed to cool or interesting news very subjective and you being one of the more weird people that we know i think your definition personally could be a little different from ours well weird is the new the new uh, outcast weird but in a cooler way like you know how 60 is the new 40 weird is the new put that person on an island somewhere do you guys follow that no mm. i don't I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid i don't know what you're talking about weird is the new outcast you're saying weird's a buzzword no weird's like a compliment these days it's a positive thing as opposed to say 30 years ago weird was like hey this person should be in a prison or an institution or something oh embrace the weird is what you're saying the way right. austin texas is known for saying keep austin weird sure yeah something like that it's a point of pride right yeah it's nothing to be ashamed of it's a positive thing you know and it's it's just a little different than the mainstream that's the thing you know it's different and not in a negative way like it was 30 40 years ago 100 years ago 500 years ago well, let's talk about some of these weird news stories. One was mentioned, it's that the headline is one date and now I'm being sued. Woman sues man for 10K for standing her up on a date. This 
alleged date was scheduled to happen on September 10th in 2020, but the man did not show up. He was sued, and the woman, Ms. Short, she claimed that this date fell on the anniversary of her mom's death and that the man caused her emotional distress. Well, is it weird to you guys, or is it is it just, just like life today? Yeah, it's life today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, unfortunately, it's just the way life is. Are you surprised that it's taken this long for somebody to sue someone for standing them up for a date for $10,000? There was a time when everybody was suing everybody. I'm actually in the process right this minute of suing you guys. We're countersuing your future suit. Yeah. <laughs> You're fucked, buddy. <laughs> Our lawyer says you're fucked. What I found really weird about this story, well, actually, what I found funny and entertaining was the video associated with this USA Today article. It actually showed video footage from the hearing, which was conducted on Zoom, and the judge had to yell at Miss Short. Do not insult my intelligence as if I do not understand what the word perjury means. Be quiet while I'm talking. So apparently she's got a history of bizarre lawsuits. So it's pretty much normal, I, I would have to say, for today. The part that I found weird was why 10K? How did she come up with that number? Yeah, I don't know if that's actually in any article that is out there about this, where this number came from, whether it was a recommendation from her lawyer or if they somehow put a monetary figure to the damages that are so kind of vague. What's interesting is that even though this was thrown out of court, this might set a standard for future lawsuits in a related incident. If somebody else has stood up, well, this person started with 10. I don't think anyone's going below 10. If, they, if another lawsuit happens. I mean, how could you, right? Something worse would have had to have happened. You have to prove something. <laughs> like you've, this person lost money or something because I went to this date uh, that you didn't show up for. Well, and I think it got thrown out of one court because she filed the suit in the wrong type of court. So I don't know if she could still bring the suit in whatever the, the correct type of court is. So it might still be in process. But it's totally ridiculous because she had obviously agreed to that date so she's the one that decided to put it on her late mother's you know the anniversary of the, the death so she agreed to it like pick a different day you're setting yourself up to be potentially worse off on that day if something goes wrong on that date he could have showed up and it could have been a bad date and she still could have tried suing him for the same reason yeah where does it end where does it end? Yeah, throw that one right out of court. And uh, Miss Short has a history of these frivolous lawsuits dating all the way back to 1984. It looks like a good 20, 25 of them I'm looking at here. Kind of wild, actually. <laughs> so I would say she's weird. And uh, what she does uh, for money maybe is normal, though, for some people, but definitely a weird thing to me. When she should be punished, I think, for filing these ridiculous lawsuits, he should be able to counter sue her and win for just wasting his time or, you know, or, or whoever she's suing that it's ridiculous. There has to be some consequences for wasting people's time like this. Would that make anything any better if he countersues her? No, yes. that would only, it would, it would totally yes. exacerbate the whole thing. Well, maybe he has emotional distress too. Like she claimed from that because she's putting him through this whole ridiculous thing. So he should sue her when 
And then maybe that'll teach her a lesson to just mind her own business. Seems like a lot of work to uh, teach someone a lesson and probably not get any money at the end of the day out of. I don't know. But she, well, she can keep doing this to anyone, though. When is she going to stop? You got to nip these things in the bud. We've never even considered the fact that maybe she was emotionally distressed by this. Maybe this is a legit lawsuit. I think your track record shows a history of frivolous lawsuits. This seems like an extremely frivolous one. An emotional distress, that's a weird one. I don't know what the legal definition is there, but if we were suing people for emotional distress, I'd be suing people all day long. People are emotionally distressing me every time I go to the supermarket. You actually go out to the supermarket? <laughs> no, but like I was just talking hypothetically. But to Lance's point, like we don't know. We, we can't prove she wasn't put in emotional distress because of this. She probably was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that her track record suggests she uh, is looking for situations like this, which I think people do. I used to have a softball coach who used to uh, stop short at red lights to try to get rear-ended, and then he would blame whiplash. Wasn't that an episode of uh, 90210? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Might have been. Who was driving? Brenda? Brandon? <laughs> I think it was Brandon and they were like having an argument and then the woman behind them yes. went forward a little bit to make them think that they hit her yeah. Yeah. she saw that they weren't paying attention. <laughs> Shit. And then she was busted though because I think uh, Brent, Brenda, right? Brenda, yeah, Shannon Doherty. She felt so bad about the whole thing. She went to go visit the woman and caught her doing like aerobics. Yes. <laughs> the best part about this is I didn't know wow. Lance watched 90210. I had two older sisters during that time. There was no way I couldn't watch that. Do you guys want to talk about Jason Priestley and the rest of the cast for the next 45 minutes? Jason Priestley's character in Tombstone is gay, right? It's assumed. It's assumed, I think. It's alluded to. It's implied. I always thought that his character in Tombstone was very underrated. When you look at that movie, you always think about Val Kilmer. And then the shootout, you know, at the mm -hmm. OK Corral. But you never think about that little role that he played. I thought it was such a great role. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't have more movie roles. I don't know what, what happened there. I know he got in that car accident when he was racing cars or something. Or was that Luke Perry? I think it might have been Jason Priestley, you know, for a hobby, like racing cars and stuff. And I think he, he got, got into an accident. Yeah, I think he got injured hmm. pretty good. Yeah. We'll check out his IMDb after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's a really interesting story out of Tamworth, New Hampshire. They've been using green crabs to make whiskey. Tamworth Distilling's Crab Trapper Whiskey is something they're producing now to try to help the green crab problem. First, I think it's weird. I think this is a weird story. <laughs> okay, good. And I think we're identifying the formula for weird because you don't normally associate a crab infestation with whiskey. Wow. I beg to differ on that one. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Does everyone wow. know what I'm talking okay. about? Okay. I, I think so. I think I'm Should following I explain you. it? No, the joke plays better if you don't explain it. <laughs> Tamworth, great town, great little town. Have, have either of you been there, first of all? Not that I know of. Right up there by Lake Winnipesaukee. Have you been, you've been to Lake Winnipesaukee, right? Actually, no, I don't think so. Where's Beach? <laughs> Where? Okay, that's... Laconia 98, baby. Bikes and bucks. Um, yeah, so, good little town. That, uh, that distillery is really cool. I dig it. I think it's a weird story, but I dig it. I dig what they're doing. There's this infestation of crabs that are harming the population of 
the normal like ecosystem. There's nothing that they can do with them, so they got creative. I mean, you eat them anyway. You know, it's not like they're putting some foreign substance in there. I think it's great. Give me a bottle. Maybe we can get them as a sponsor. Yeah, I would love to try it, actually. I'm not even a whiskey person, but I would love to uh, to try it. These crabs look really tiny, these little green crabs, and yeah, they're, they're invasive, so they're not native to the area. Apparently, they got there centuries ago, and and this whiskey is only doing little to really help, but I do appreciate that they're making an attempt to sort of help the environment too. I guess each bottle of whiskey uses about a pound of green crabs. Seems like that should make more of a more of a dent in the problem. A uh, quick question, Tim. Yeah. You're not a whiskey person. I'm assuming more of a Cosmo guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm more of an O'Doul's guy myself. You would have struck me as more of a Coors Cutter. Well, it was a little too intense for me, the Coors Cutter. So Old Dews is a little more my style, a little lighter. So yeah, apparently these green crabs are edible, but they're most of them aren't bigger than your fist. So I think the, the time and work it takes in uh, making them edible, cooking them, isn't really worth the meat that they provide. So it says that they're primarily used for crab stock and soup. I mean, crabs don't typically give you a lot of meat anyway. Right. It's more flavor. So what's the flavor, I guess, of the uh, of the crab green crab? Like, and would you Chicken. be able to taste that <laughs> in the whiskey? Like, I guess. You have to get a bottle, find out. We'll definitely have to get a bottle of this. Yeah. I don't think it's that weird, to be honest. I feel like people are always tr- finding things to make new products with, you know, just because it's a crab. It's just, hey, you know, I found this uh, leech or something to make a new uh, skin lotion with or something. You know, people are always finding things to make new products with. <laughs> yeah, leeches for skin lotion. That's uh... just using a hypothetical. Leech lotion. <laughs> That's appealing. Mmm. <laughs> You know, people are always doing this, coming up with things. And yeah, supposedly it helps the the environment. But I'm going to go off on a little tangent right now because I'm a little upset about the term invasive. Okay. Mm. These green crabs are invasive. Well, you know, uh, Europeans were invasive to America. Why aren't we curbing that problem? Humans invasive to planet Earth. Why aren't we uh, doing something about that? Let's focus on the animals. Let's get rid of the animals that are, or the plants that are invasive. Let's not focus on ourselves. That's how egocentric we are. Yikes. Wow. We're not in the A to A conversations about um, when to remove us as an invasive species. I mean, it occurred to me, what else could, could these crabs be used for if we're trying to get rid of them? They help the environment getting rid of them. Whiskey's one thing. Could we use them for, it occurred to me, maybe paint or coffee? Crab coffee? I mean, sounds fun. I don't know how that yeah, would work, why not? though. Could be a billion-dollar idea. You could uh, maybe dry them and crush them up and use them as a topper. A topper. For a salad. <laughs> The shells? Oh, I guess you wouldn't want to eat the shells, no matter how ground up they were. But that is what we're talking about, I think. You know, I think that's how they're distilling these crabs. You know, they're throwing them all in, totally. (laughs) Where does it end? Where does it stop? (laughs) This rampant distilling of of living things. Right, exactly. When is it going to end? That's what I'm waiting for. Well, for $65 a bottle, you can own and enjoy Crab Trapper. People who are allergic to shellfish now have to worry about alcohol because before you could just go grab whatever. And now you have to be like, oh, I got to make sure I don't grab that 
green crab whiskey or else I could die. I wonder if that actually is a concern. After distilling, does the shellfish allergy go away or do you still have to worry about this? Good question. Could be a good study. You should ask the owner of this distillery sometime. We should totally contact the owner. I mean, this is basically an ad for it. The crab is present lightly on the nose, accompanied by coriander and bay to smooth out any high notes. The body carries hints of maple and vanilla oak notes lent from the full-bodied base. The spirit finishes with heavier notes of clove, cinnamon, and allspice, leaving a light, pleasant spice on the palate. I think that sounds delicious. It does. It actually really does. Yeah. They probably have to default to probably be safe rather than sorry if they don't haven't done a study, like an official study on this yet. Weird or not, we can certainly talk about nothing for a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. I've been doing that my whole life. <laughs> oh, you got a cough. Like I said, 95% get there. Thanks, everyone. for Thanks, all my fans, by the way, for sending me snail mail, and uh, uh, which is kind of a derogatory term. Thanks for sending me mail. Derogatory towards snails? I think the post office. Yeah, snails and the post office. All right, but, uh, yeah, thank a... you for all your, for your prayers and your letters and um, just general concerns. I really appreciate that, everyone out there. Great, great. <laughs> Got a lot of support. I'm surprised you didn't say that off the top. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, well, you got cut out. You guys edited that out, remember? I think one of the best parts of the show, this episode, is Tim trying to move on. Yes. I was just trying to feel it out. It's just like letting it go sometimes. <laughs> okay, let's we'll uh, speed it up. Well, well up. here is a, a really funny article that's called Ecology Professor Theorizes Loch Ness Monster May Just Be Whale Penis. Boing, 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 boing. <laughs> from the Huffington Post back in April of 2022. And there's an ecology professor named Michael Sweet who tweeted about this. And he said, back in the day, travelers and explorers would draw what they saw. This is what many sea monster stories came from, i.e. tentacled and alien-esque appendages emerging from the water, giving belief to something more sinister lurking beneath the water. However, <laughs> many cases, it was just whale dicks oh. is uh, is what Matt Michael, uh, Professor Michael tweeted. Sweet tweet. Pretty funny. And then you put and he, he also put a few photos of whale penises alongside the famous picture of the Loch Ness Monster, which is kind of in black and white and kind of looks like a brontosaurus or something like that neck like sticking out of the water. And uh, it does unmistakably look a little bit now like a whale penis now that I know what a whale penis looks like. Well, I, I think there is some validity to this. I remember one time I was uh, swimming up at Lake Winnipesaukee, a little callback there. And, uh, you know, my friend thought I was snorkeling, but I was actually just skinny dipping doing the backstroke. And so it can, it can Jesus happen. Christ. Yeah, it can happen. <laughs> so. Weird? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's weird. It's a very interesting theory. There's an update. I actually have an update on this article. It's been debunked. There are no whales in Loch Ness. That famous image of the Loch Ness Monster from 1934, still a mystery, probably not Nessie, but also not whale, not a whale dick. There's an article from LiveScience.com, also from April 2022, called No, the Loch Ness Monster Was Not a Whale's Penis. And they spoke with uh, Professor Michael Sweet, 
for this article, he said he knows he knows about that, and he was just kind of trying to make a joke on Twitter. However, he does say that a lot of these sightings that explorers had and wrote in diaries are actual whale dicks that explorers saw back in the day, which I do still find weird and interesting and definitely never something I thought about. And I definitely never went down the what does a whale's penis look like rabbit hole until today. And um, I can report that they do look like that image from the Loch Ness Monster. So is the Loch Ness Monster, was that always, uh, was it saltwater or freshwater that it, in Lake Champlain or wherever it was? Is it... <laughs> well, that's, the, that's a different... Uh... That's a different thing? Yeah. yeah, that's Champy in mm-hmm. Lake Champlain. And that's a lake, so it's freshwater. Right. Now, so so what about Loch Ness? Where is that supposed to be in saltwater or freshwater? Because if it's saltwater, then it could feasibly be a whale's penis. Yeah, it's freshwater. For the Loch Ness Monster, freshwater. Right, so there's no whales in that. Yeah. Well, there could be species out there that we still haven't discovered yet. Definitely true. Yeah. I don't find this story so weird just because it's anatomy. If a whale reveals itself, <laughs> you see that, you know, in nature, I guess. But it's very rare. I went Googling on this and there is some video of it on uh, YouTube. Underwater footage of humpback whale reveals penis extrusion. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very rare sight in nature, apparently. What I find weird and funny about it is like, that I totally would have been like, holy shit, that's a sea monster if I saw that, you know? if you Or if you saw that on a boat <laughs> when you were whale watching, you would have been like, that's not a whale, that is a sea monster. Terrifying. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. There is an article from Vice that was called, Do We All See the Woman Holding an iPhone in This 1860 painting. And this is an article from a few years ago. A closer look at the expected one, which is a painting from a 19th century Austrian artist named Ferdinand Waldmuller. The painting is fun to look at. It's really beautiful. And it shows a a young girl walking along a trail and she's holding what really does look like a smartphone device in both of her hands. And she's looking down at it. Pretty funny to me. (laughs) <laughs> that like you know century decades later it's uh got completely new meaning the theory right behind it is that this is a prayer book or a, a small bible i think you can even see maybe a little rosary that's hanging down from it yeah that's a good observation that is what it looks like yeah the gentleman in the picture really is the highlight of the whole painting for me <laughs> he is off to the side of this rocky trail and it looks like she's walking towards him studying her prayer book and he's like ready to pounce on her with these violet flowers seems nicely dressed it seems like he's been waiting for her he knows that she's going to church and he's ready to profess his love to her well that's one reading now i i've got a different reading on this image though i think i think it's a prayer book and i think he's there looking for a date but she's praying that he's not going to be there. This is like a stalker. This is an unwanted stalker. And she doesn't see him because she's looking down at the book, which kind of looks like an iPhone. I don't get art. I got to be honest. I don't really understand <laughs> art. It's ridiculous. Do you guys watch Antiques Roadshow at all? Someone will bring in a painting, you know, not even one of the big artists that you've heard of, not like a Picasso or anything. They'll value it at like twenty to $40,000. 
And then you might have like this beautiful bench or desk, like hand carved from, you know, 19th century that might be like $5,000. It's way more practical for the bench. I don't know how art gets all this value when it's so unpractical and just, it's useless. It makes no sense to me. What's the problem? Why is it valued so high? Why can you buy and sell a framed piece of art that has no practical value for $20,000, $40,000 when you can actually get like a nice bench or something hand carved (laughs) from a shaker in New England, which is like $5,000. It's just, it's, 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 it makes no sense at all. Another human thing that makes no sense. It really gets, it really, really bursts my bubble. If this is really a smartphone, where is his smartphone, the the kid? Because he would be holding it. He would be looking at it. He's too young to have a smartphone. I think he just like put it down by his, by his foot. He's on bended knee. He's going to, he's going to like launch himself at her. It's a little creepy, honestly, when you look at it uh, for a while. And uh, it's also funny to me that. Someone kind of doctored a photo of this painting, I guess, and put some illuminated light like on her chest. But I, I looked at this really closely before before I saw that, and uh, the light from the sun appears consistent with her dress. It doesn't look like there's really any more light on her chest. Her decolletage. What I'm saying is this artist didn't come from the future and uh, go back in time to paint this painting. It was just someone with way too much time on their hands that didn't have a real job. <laughs> So your problem with art is that it needs to have a practical purpose, like a bench? Fine. If you want to have paintings and draw and have art, that's fine. But value it at like, how? why is it worth $20,000, $40,000, $100,000 and everything else that actually has practical value and that took probably even more time, more handicraft skill? Why does one have to be related to the other? Because we're always comparing and contrasting. Okay, well, okay, let's just take it separately then. How can a piece of art cost 20, 40, 100,000, whatever dollars when it has no real value? Like it has no practical purpose. Well, I think art lovers would have a much more articulate answer than what I'm going to try to give right here. But I, I feel like if you know about and you're a student of the history of art, then the value is in that, that you're able to look at something and appreciate it. And, and that is something that's more internal as opposed to something that is practical in the, in the real world, like external sense. To me, it's very elitist. It's owning a piece of history. It's like owning a piece of culture. Of course, that's going to cost a lot of money. It is also kind of elitist because these things are traded by uber rich people. If you've seen these beautiful paintings at a museum or something, I, I feel like you you would understand more about this. I know I'm sure you've been to a museum too, but these paintings no are beautiful. A, a be- I've never seen a bench that took as long as I've seen the paintings of the gardener that took took. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, hey, the person building the bench at least is making something for you to sit on to draw your painting. If it wasn't for the bench maker, you'd have to be standing the whole time. Or the cobbler who's making your That's shoes. That's what easels are for. Really yeah, and someone made that easel. Yeah, in like five minutes. Did either of you click on the link at the bottom of this article about the girl holding the cell phone for the other painting that was done in 1939? With the gentleman holding the cell phone? This one? Yeah, that one. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I 
I wanted to bring that up as well um, because that looks that looks way more like a. It looks way more like like a cell phone. I mean, I can almost see yeah. the Apple logo. Yeah, there's better examples of this uh, phenomenon <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in art, namely this yeah. painting right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is it called? That looks it's, more like a phone. Mister Pynchon and the Settling of Springfield by Umberto Romano from 1937. He's holding the cell phone with his right hand, and his left hand <laughs> is almost giving like a shush. <laughs> like, hey, keep it down gesture. You see yeah. that? Yeah, I do. It's kind of a weird scene, too, because people are cap- like held captive here. Probably getting a text saying, Columbus is coming. Get the hell out of here. But there's a lot going on in this painting. There's a witch flying right up there in the <laughs> upper right-hand quadrant. You see yeah, the witch? I do, yeah. On it's... a broom. Yeah. What's what's this painting called? Pilgrims and Native Americans. It is called Mr. Pynchon and the Settling of Springfield by Umberto Romano in 1937. It seems political, but I don't know what it's saying either. The artist, Mr. Romano, clearly came from the future to paint this. (laughs) Clearly came from the future. (laughs) It's really a wild, wild painting. That guy in the pink suit has some really big leg muscles for his uh, upper body's at that point. Oh, he's got some pretty some guns on his arms. He's got too. some yeah, some pretty good quads. Everyone's in They're really all good pretty shape. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You see there it looks like there's a baby in a little backpack. It looks like a woman holding a baby. Yeah, that's a neat way to carry a baby. That one kind of like on her back though as opposed to uh the ones that we see today which are kind of in the front where the baby kind of hangs there. Those I love those when my kids were young. Those those were really handy. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. All right, final story we have here today. It's called Man Pushes Peanut Up Colorado Mountain Using Unconventional Body Part. And this one's from July of 2022. And a man named Bob Salem from Colorado Springs pushed a peanut. He's a 53-year-old man. He pushed a peanut up a 14,000-foot summit in Colorado, Pikes Peak, and he pushed the peanut up with his nose in seven days. This is weird, I think. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. File it under I don't care, though. Right. (laughs) Well, it's not original. In the article here from the Huffington Post, it actually started in 1929. A guy named Bill Williams did this up the same mountain. It took him 22 days, though. And it started, this crazy idea from Bill Williams started with a a bet on who was going to win president. And Bill Williams lost. And in that bet, he said he would push a peanut 11 miles to the next town <laughs> if his candidate lost and Herbert Hoover won the election and so he did it. Okay. When I said that file is <laughs> under the category of I don't care, yeah. I'm lying. This is ridiculously <laughs> fascinating to me that people have this sort of resolve to complete a task that's on the surface so absolutely useless and mundane. <laughs> yes. And I, the sense of humor that comes with that is unparalleled. Right. And real world danger too. That that guy back in 1929 who did it. I, I'm sure he didn't eat much. Like I'm sure his health must have been in question by the end of that, but it took him 3 weeks to hike uh and push the stupid peanut up the mountain with his nose. With his nose. Well, I have to say he he built a contraption to make this a little easier on himself. 
Um, so he didn't get he didn't have to get his nose all the way to the ground. So it was kind of like a almost like a spoon on the end of like a I guess a helmet kind of contraption that kind of comes down almost like a mosquito that pushes this. <laughs> so his nose actually hill. wasn't all the way to the grindstone. Yes. Yes. Oh, good one. And then in 1963, someone named Ulysses, Ulysses Baxter did the same thing on the same mountain, but he did it in eight days to beat Bill Williams's record. And then all these years later, Bob Salem comes around. And I, so I agree with you, your original instinct, Lance. This is an unoriginal thing to do by Bob Salem. However, I appreciate that it brings up the historical uh, events, the the Williams bet, and uh, him doing it initially. Mm. I think was inspired madness, and I'm all here for uh, I'm here for that. So this was the loser who has to push the peanut. At some point, isn't the winner like, "Hey, dude, you can stop. Don't worry about it." <laughs> well, I think it was his father-in-law, so I think he wanted to see him uh, suffer. And he was a young kid. I don't know how old Bill Williams was back in 1929. It called him a student in one of the newspaper headlines. So I take it he was a young kid, no more than probably 22 or something like that. So I could see a father-in-law maybe driving alongside and like cracking up, like laughing, like, you idiot. You, th <laughs> you thought your presidential candidate was going to win? Push a peanut up a mountain. With your nose. <laughs> yeah, and if you think political arguments between uh, you and your in-laws are uh, uh, only a current thing, uh, think again. They were, they were just as extreme, perhaps more so back then. I have a bigger challenge for this guy. Why don't you try doing that at the Texas Roadhouse? Get it? Huh? <laughs> no. All the peanut shells, all the peanut shells on the ground at the Texas Roadhouse. It'd be really, I don't think they do that really anymore. They don't. Why? It's very sanitary. Why and they? safe. No one slips on it. <laughs> do not go in there if you have a peanut allergy. Do not go to the Texas Roadhouse. Do not push allergy. a peanut up a mountain with your nose if you have a peanut allergy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad. I mean, I wouldn't want to really go up a mountain period and i definitely wouldn't want to do it pushing a peanut like uh i wouldn't want to do it like maybe if, if a hike up a mountain would be like four or five hours beginning to end I, I could be into that i could enjoy that any longer than that just no way i wish he did it for like it's like raised funds for like an animal shelter or something like hey if i do this will you put ten thousand dollars to the animal shelter but for me, what like what is it? Just bragging rights? You just do it for yeah. bragging rights? Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty stupid. Could be something that you could do, Scott. Um, find I, a charity of your choice, I and it doesn't have to be. I don't leave my house. Maybe you could push a peanut around your house. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe I could get a green crab to push a peanut around my house. Yeah, you can solve the green crab problem by having green crab peanut pushing races. <laughs> right, all over the country. Catch on. Be a whole new thing. I'm getting a little tired, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're done with, uh, with our stories, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Almost my nap time. I'm going to go put on mod. Actually, hey, next time, can we do a show where we just, um, I was going to pitch this to you guys, talk about Angela Lansbury. Sure. Like her life and times, and maybe if we have time, fit in B. Arthur. Sure. Is that a good idea for a show? Why B. Arthur? B. Arthur, have you watched, have you seen Maud? Yes. 
we watched an episode the other day where she did a monologue for like a half hour. The whole episode was just her doing a monologue. Pretty amazing. It actually kept my interest. Unlike this show. <laughs> but now I'm into the Jeffersons, actually. So that's a good show. Jeffersons is good, yeah. Yeah. All around the same time period, right? Yeah, I think they're around the same time. Not into Barney Miller, though. Not a big Barney Miller fan. Did you see about uh, about three, four months ago, maybe longer, when they did the Facts of Life with like a modern cast? And they actually had um, some of the original cast, like Blair and Natalie and stuff, um, perform like an episode, like an original episode. They did it for different strokes, which Kevin Hart was in. They had Kevin Hart play Arnold from different strokes. And then they did a Facts of Life episode, too. Oh, and Damon Waynes, I believe, was in Different Strokes, too. He was Willis. Hmm. I didn't know that that happened. Yeah, yeah, it was about five months ago. It was on TV. I think it was live, too. Well, thanks for joining us, Scotty. This was, uh, this was a fun recording. Sure, sure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, keep things weird. Keep things... Uh, you know, trending in the weird direction. Um, if anyone wants to, again, write me a letter or um, call me on my phone, my landline, feel free. Do you want to hold up your, your phone number? Let them find it out. If they really want to get in touch with me, they need to make an effort. Yeah, just Google Scott Free or Scott Giordano or Steve Z, a Safari Scott. <laughs> Scott Styles, Swansea Jeeves. Thank you.